when the market crashed, I was sitting on about 65 properties and I lost probably close to $2 million. Very humbling experience. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best ever team and patch of land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173 will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately. Whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and I'm here with today's guest, Marty Boardman. Hello, Marty. Hello, Joe. How are you today? doing really well. Marty is joining us from Gilbert, Arizona, which is right outside of Phoenix. He's a real estate investor. He's been investing since 2002. He is a licensed realtor in both Arizona and Wisconsin. He said he does most of his deals in Milwaukee. He's the author of Fixing and Flipping Homes, Strategies for the Post-Boom Era. And you can say hi to him at reimidwest.com. That's a, that's a wonderful URL for your website, by the way. And with that being said, Marty, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? You bet. You bet. So I got into real estate, as you mentioned, in 2002. Prior to that, I was actually a TV news cameraman. I worked uh, at the CBS affiliate in Phoenix for about 10 years and uh, got tired of schlepping hundreds of pounds of camera gear around back in, I don't know, 2000, 2001. And I uh, decided uh, I needed to find something else to do. So I kind of stumbled upon real estate. I actually read, read um, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right around this time. And uh, it just became very clear to me that if I was going to make money or the common man makes makes money in real estate, I didn't know how to – my golf handicap was not very good. I didn't, uh, wasn't, I didn't know how to design software or computers. So uh, – uh, real estate felt like the right direction for me to go. And that's what I did. I read uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book and uh, got uh, into real estate. I started attending you know, some local workshops. Then I, I started spending a little bit of money flying around the country, attending some of these uh, real estate uh, seminars. And eventually, I uh, was able to convince my wife to let me quit my job. Uh, she was my sugar mama. <laughs> <laughs> I was able to quit my job because she had a very good job and uh, try this real estate thing full time. Well, usually before every show, I ask the guests before we start recording, what's an interesting non-real estate related fact, but you've just given two. So I'm glad that you saved me. One of them is that prior you were a TV newsman or news cameraman for 10 years. And the second is that you have a sugar mama. (laughs) You're the first guest who has openly admitted to both of those things. (laughs) So so let's let's talk a little bit about your investing experience. I mean, you wrote a book called Fixing and Flipping Homes or Houses, Strategies for the Post-Boom Era. What's your experience in fixing and flipping? It started out in 2002, and I guess you could say I was a wholesaler. Uh, really, 
more of a bird dog, actually. Uh, and of course, in 2002, this was prior to the the, the boom, the uh, in Phoenix or the or the bubble. Uh, and so, you know, I was actually doing some real work. I mean, I was uh, out door knocking. I was I was physically going door to door to homeowners in foreclosure, and you know, in a in a very polite way, asking them if they would like to sell their home. And basically, that's how I got my start. And then I would ultimately assign the contract if the homeowner would be willing to sell their house to me. Uh, I would put it put in a contract or write the offer, and then add an and or signees clause to that contract so that. I could assign the contract to a buyer whose intent was to to fix the home up and, and flip it. So I really start out wholesaling. It's just really within the last five, six years, I started fixing and flipping. And that was uh, in the post-boom era after the, the market tanked. And I started working with a, a local investor here initially and then went out on my own and was buying homes mostly at, at the auctions here, at what we call trustee sales here in Phoenix, buying them. At trustee sales, fixing them up, and uh, uh, and then and then putting them on the MLS and then flipping them. Let's dive into your bird dog and wholesaler approach, where you were going door to door, knocking on people's front doors. I assume those are front doors, yes, <laughs> and their back doors if they don't answer the front. I mean, you got you got to do what you got to do to make things happen, right? You can't have a sugar mama forever. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Actually, she starts using bad words like job. Oh, no, no. Yeah, a word I wanted to hear. So I, I really dove in and and spent, you know, almost, you know, every weekend for two years, you know, at least three weekends a month, you know, banging on 60 to 80 doors. Let's talk about that. So you're banging on doors. You arrive before you start banging on the door. You first map out the neighborhood. I imagine that you want to target based on certain criteria, and then you walk up to the door. Walk us through, pun intended. Walk us through that conversation and how to successfully convince somebody to assign their home to you. Or actually, I mean, they, they, they don't really think of it as an assignment. They think of it as a sale to sell their home to you. Walk us through that conversation. Yeah, I was very strategic about it. And, you know, there was a, uh, you know, even more so today than, than it was, you know, 13 years ago. Uh, but uh, there, there's a lot of data out there, especially in a, in a market the size of Phoenix, so, you know, I was fortunate in that, you know, the information was there where I could you know, easily acquire this person's address and, and the principal balance on their mortgage. Uh, and because I was working, fortunate enough to work with some pretty seasoned investors at this time, they also had a really good idea of what the values of these homes were that were in foreclosure. So really, you know, what I would do is I would, I would take this list and there'd typically be anywhere between 500 and 700 homes in foreclosure at any given time. So pretty substantial list. And I would uh, look at the date of their auction. So we, the way it works in Phoenix is once the notice of trustee sale or the default is filed, they have 90 days to either bring the loan current or pay it off. So we're working within a 90-day window. So there is some sense of urgency there with the homeowner. So you know when you go up to the door, it was really kind of I had two different strategies. I would initially go to the door if it was more than two or three weeks away from their sale date with the approach, a real soft sell type approach and just kind of talk about how uh, uh, it looks like, you know, you, you're, you may be behind on your mortgage or, or it just looks like, you know, you may have some issues with the bank and payments and is there anything I can do to help? So a real soft sell. 
then I would show up again if they hadn't done anything about it. And because, you know, these are there are phone numbers and websites you could check to see that the sales are still scheduled to take place. So once I got within, you know, 72 hours of that sale, I would return and it would be more of a hard sell. Be look, look, you have to do something here. You either need to send the money to your bank to bring this loan current, which is called a reinstatement, or pay the loan off. If you don't have that ability, then you need to sell the house to me, you know, and then here's what I can do for you. Here's, you know, I can pay off your loan. I can, I can give you three, 4,000 bucks and give you 30 days to move out, you know, so it becomes more of a hard sell at, at that, at that, at that point in time. What would be the reason why somebody, and I'm sure there are multiple reasons, but why they wouldn't already be on top of the kind of the the process of selling their home if it is within as you said 72 hours from whenever you know the process is set to conclude you know obviously 4 or 5 years ago they most of the people were underwater so <laughs> you know they just strategically have made a decision not to pay their mortgage anymore but uh back in 2002 2003 and now I think again today that uh, now that home values, especially here in Phoenix, are up, you know, the last three years, 35, 40 percent, people have equity again in their homes, especially people who bought in 2009, 2010. They have significant equity already in their homes. You know, it's uh, people get into trouble for a lot of reasons. You know, they, they lose a job or uh, they get a divorce. They have uh, medical issues. So, you know, you have to be sensitive when you when you go approach somebody's door and, and talk to them about this kind of thing. But uh you know, it's it's really like anything else. I think you know, people tend to go into denial and try to dismiss the problem. And, and nowadays, Joe, I'll tell you, uh, it's a lot harder to do this approach. And uh, it's a very difficult uh, way to acquire real estate or to try to do real estate deals because the banks are, are, are really uh, positioned and they are staffed and educated on how to assist homeowners who are behind. So, that there's a lot more latitude the banks give these borrowers. And, you know, one of the advantages we had back in 02 and 03 was the banks did not work with borrowers. If you were behind and you didn't pay, they foreclosed on you. There were no postponements or, you know, forbearance agreements. There were no short sales or loan modifications offered. It was you either pay or you lose your home. And these days, this approach that I use, this door knocking approach, I don't think is as effective only because. Uh, the, the homeowners themselves are pretty educated and they know that these banks are willing to help them and work with them. So that sense of urgency is eroded a little and it does make it difficult. But I still think it's a very viable strategy, especially if you're just getting started. You don't have a lot of money, but you have lots of time. I mean, it's pretty easy if you live in a major market uh, to to get a list like this and, and just go knock on their door. And even if you do one deal a year and it makes you 20, 25 grand, you're that much better for it. And you've learned a lot as well. So let's talk about fixing and flipping and what you're actively doing now. What are some of the things that you've learned as you're fixing and flipping properties? So I, I will say, you know, fixing and flipping is a, a whole nother game, right? It's a whole nother business model. And uh, I know we had uh, kind of talked uh, pre-show about, you know, having what's the best investment advice, but uh, uh, to give somebody uh, or, or or what's some of the best advice I've ever gotten. And Initially, you know, when I first started, I was told by a pretty prominent real estate attorney, he said, you know, find somebody local who's investing in real estate and work with them if you can, shadow them, you know, get them to coach you, mentor you. And I still think that's a good approach. I think you could probably uh, find people in other markets today because, you know, the world is a much smaller place now than it was 13, 14 years ago. 
and learn from them if they're willing to teach you. And some, in some cases, if you're willing to pay them, you know, and they're willing to teach you. But I think more importantly in real estate, I think, and, and, and I think this goes for anyone who's, who wants to become an entrepreneur or a business owner, is just to find that niche, to find that, that little piece of the real estate investing world that you can be really good at and that, and that you're passionate about and that you can get up every morning and be excited about. Frankly, uh, on the wholesaling bird dog level, I mean, I burned out on that in a year and a half. I was just fed up with knocking on doors every weekend and talking to people. And frankly, this may sound a little insensitive, but just kind of hearing their stories about how they've fallen down or gotten, you know, on hard times, you know, it just kind of really started great on me. And that's kind of how I got into the, the fixing and flipping world. So I became the guy, the cash buyer that all these wholesalers and bird dogs are looking for. I was the one who would buy the property from them so they could make a few bucks. And then I could go in and make my improvements and 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 make my money. And so uh, fixing and flipping to me is more what I'm passionate about in my niche. I mean, I, I love the transformation the physical transformation a property goes through from the time we buy it. I love being able to, to visualize early on what a home is going to look like when it's done. Cause very few people have that ability. And I love the idea of revitalizing neighborhoods and, and, and making neighbors happy and proud to live next door to, to the worst looking home on, on the street. So uh, that's something that I get, you know, really fired up about. And it's something I, I love to do, but it's not, it's definitely not for everyone. And, uh, it's very capital and time intensive, and it does require a, quite a bit of imagination and creativity. And uh, you also have to be able to manage a lot of people because you, you know, if you're not physically doing the work yourself, which I don't do, I don't. You you don't want me anywhere near a hammer or a cordless drill. I'll make a mess. So uh, it's important that you you be able to kind of identify those people who can work best in your system and and create it, creating. It's about creating a culture. Uh, if you're making this a scalable type of business. So it, it's, it's, it takes some, it takes some effort and, and it's not, again, it's not for everyone. So I, I, I'm not into direct mail. I don't, I don't really like talking on the phone to homeowners uh, who are in distress. So it's just not really my thing anymore. So I, I think the best advice I could give is, you know, find that niche in whatever it may be in the investing world and, and what you're passionate about and really just dive in and go for it. You're going to have to come up with another piece of advice because I haven't officially asked you that question. And I have a whole like audio thing that leads up to that and everything else. So, But I, I have confidence in you, my friend, that you will come up with another piece of good advice. But I want to ask some follow-up questions on what you're just talking about. How do you fund your deals that, that you're fixing and flipping? So uh, this is another, I think, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I guess I feel like is one of my strengths because I, I love what I do. And I talk to lots of different people about what it is I do. And that enthusiasm, you know, kind of it's, it's contagious, I guess. And so uh, I, I use some of my own capital, but most of it is, is private money that, uh, that I use. And it comes from investors, mostly word of mouth. Or lately from our from our website, and I have a couple different websites. Uh, I have uh, my website in Milwaukee, which is reimidwest.com, and my website here in Phoenix, which is flippingphoenixhouses.com. So uh, flippingphoenixhouses.com has been around a lot longer and actually gets a lot more traffic because I guess, you know, Phoenix is a sexy place to invest in real estate. So uh, I've raised quite a bit of capital just through connections I've made 
uh, on the website through various investors. You know, I've got an investor uh, from Australia. I've got a couple from Northern California, Seattle. Uh, but these are people who just come to me and they hear my voice. And when I say they hear my voice, they read what I write on my website. And they watch my videos. Uh, they see that I'm genuine, authentic, and I'm passionate about what I do. And I have good deals. And, and I think that's really the key, Joe. There's so much been written about how to find private money to fund your deals and how to find capital and where to find cash buyers. The, the truth is there is no secret. I guess if I was to say there is a secret. If you have a good deal, the money will find you. I mean, I tell people that all the time. If you actually have a legitimate real estate deal, single family home, multifamily, commercial, whatever, if it's a deal, you will not have any trouble finding the money because there's a lot more people out there with money looking for deals than there are actual deals. How do you structure the agreement with your investors? Can you walk us through a case study? You bet. So the important thing to remember is, is if you're if you're a real estate investor and you are the deal maker, if you're the rainmaker, uh, you know, you're, when you're dealing with investors who, who have cash, hopefully they're sophisticated enough uh, to understand uh, that, uh, first of all, that they could lose money. And that, that's always the potential. But uh, remember that they are sophisticated, hopefully, and uh, are going to really kind of analyze your deal. So it's important that you treat them like a VIP. You treat them uh, uh, like a, a premier client. And, and that requires that you really kind of structure a deal that that makes sense for them and that they're going to be comfortable with. And I've used a lot of different legal uh, structures uh, to put together deals. I've done something as simple as a basic promissory note uh, with a, a simple, you know, agreed upon rate of return. I've created LLCs with individual investors with operating agreements that spell out how profit is to be distributed and ownership is, 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 is divvied up and responsibilities are, are distributed amongst uh, myself as the manager of the LLC and then the investor is the member of that LLC. And I've put together uh, private equity funds. I've done a fund with multiple investors and we did a private placement memorandum and, you know, a Reg D. We did all the, the legal things that you're supposed to do to set that up. Uh, but the important thing is, you know, uh, and a lot of investors get bogged down with how they structure the deal. That's really the easiest part. It's the important thing is to listen to what that investor wants and what they're most comfortable with. And I've lost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars trying to structure a deal that the comfortable that the investor wasn't comfortable with because I just wasn't listening to what they were saying. And that's really important. So find out what they want. Do they want a stabilized return? Do they want an equity position in the deal? Uh, do they want security in the deal? In other words, do they want you know, a note that's that's secured to that specific piece of property. They want ownership in an LLC that owns a property, so that's their security. Uh, do they care about that? Maybe they're fine with an unsecured uh, position. Uh, you know, it's really a matter of just kind of going step by step through uh, how that investor wants to be compensated. You know, and how how they're going to be most comfortable with the the process and with your offering. What is the most important piece of advice you'd like to give to the best ever listeners? I would say to trust your instincts. As I mentioned a little earlier, we talked about a little earlier, I'm no longer investing in the greater Phoenix housing market. I haven't done a deal here in probably over two years. And I left the market primarily because I it was a, a feeling I had, an instinct or a uh, I had about the market and my feeling that the margins were starting to kind of slip away. There was too much competition. There was too many people in the market, too many people in the space. 
But eventually, I'd find the numbers, the, the housing statistics here, foreclosure numbers, margins would, would back me up on that. But it was just kind of a sense I had. But ironically, when I went to, I ended up in Milwaukee because I felt like the margins were much greater, more distress, uh, less competition. Those were the primary reasons I, I, I left the Phoenix market and went to Milwaukee. But uh, it's kind of, ironically, I didn't trust my instincts as much. When I got to Milwaukee, I relied on other people to kind of tell me the best areas to invest, the best types of properties to to buy and invest in, and what the, the home buyers, you know, preferences were. I kind of listened to other people and didn't trust my own instincts and and made a lot of mistakes and it cost me a lot of money. Uh, a couple specific examples. Uh, I bought a lot of two bedroom, one bathroom homes because I was told the fact that they didn't have three bedrooms wasn't a big deal. Well, it turns out that was a big deal. I should virtually every two bedroom, I think I bought a half a dozen two bedroom homes and I just remodeled them and didn't add any, any, a third bedroom or square footage. And it took me forever to sell them and I lost money. Uh, that would be one example. Um, you know, I had a rule here in Phoenix. I would never buy a house that backed to a busy street or had some kind of odd location on a street. Maybe it was back to retail shopping. I would never buy something like that because it's just too hard to gauge what the real uh, negative impact that would have on the property's value. And so I was told that wasn't a big deal in Milwaukee. And so I bought a few properties in some funky areas and I paid the price dearly. Uh, you know, I always feel like, you know, and you hear investors say, well, you know, just because you wouldn't live in the house doesn't mean somebody else wouldn't. And I do think that's true. But I try to generally speaking, only buy homes and in areas that I would actually live in myself. You know, and I try to think back, maybe even if I wouldn't buy it now, because I have a wife and two kids, because maybe it's too small, or it's a little, the yard's not big enough, I would still live in the house. I mean, <laughs> if I was single, or if I was just newly married, at some point in my life, I would have lived in this house. So, you know, but those are all, again, that, that's a feel thing, that's an instinctual thing. So I would just say, don't let somebody else tell you, uh, how to run your business or or how to make decisions. Really trust your instincts. And I think, you know, for the most part, you're going to do fine. And does Milwaukee still have greater margins, more distress and less competition, not just compared to Phoenix, but just in general compared to other markets? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, really the sand states, you know, which would be California, Nevada, Texas, Arizona, Florida, which by sand, they mean, you know, either beach or desert. I really think that those markets are overheated and oversaturated with investors. And I've always been told and had it drilled into my head. And frankly, I couldn't even tell you who originally told me this. I heard it somewhere, but I know you've heard it probably too, Joe. It's you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. And as an investor, it's just really hard for me to pay retail price or even close to retail price for a piece of real estate. That's just a mistake. I mean, you know, you don't want to do that. And I feel like in, in markets like Las Vegas and Phoenix and Southern California and Dallas and Florida, I mean, you're over, you're almost overpaying Atlanta. You're, you're overpaying for real estate. I mean, you're, you're paying nearly retail value in the Midwest. And you and I were kind of talking about this, you know, before we hopped on here, you know, I really feel like those, those markets in the Midwest and maybe parts of the Northeast are really the, the last remaining markets where there's still a lot of distress uh, good foreclosure discounts and not a lot of competition. And uh, those markets are really starting to come around. Markets like Milwaukee, markets like Cleveland, uh, Kansas City, you know, Pittsburgh, Oklahoma City. 
those are good markets. I mean, nice discounts, not a lot of competition. And I guess the reason why, you know, some of your bigger players aren't working in those in those areas is frankly, it's just not very sexy. I mean, who, do, who wants to invest in Oklahoma city, right. Or Cleveland. Uh, but there's also some other, some other barriers to entry. I mean, the, the, the level of rehab and the capital required is, is, is a lot higher than it is, you know, in Phoenix. I mean, we were in Phoenix for, for years, we we're just throwing lipstick on a pig. I mean, new carpet, new countertops, maybe some new tile, clean up the backyard, bam, we fix it and flip it and make 15 grand in 90 days. Uh, you know, you can't do that in markets, you know, Midwestern markets. These homes need a lot more extensive rehab. So I think that probably scares people away as well. But still, I'm willing to put in the work if I can get those kind of discounts. Marty, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever sponsors. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Empire Industries provides frustration-free property management by investors for investors by managing your tenants, toilets, and turmoil. Invest in the hottest market in the country by contacting them today for two months free management fees. Call them at 888-866-6727. All right, Marty, best ever book you've read. It's a tie. I, I hate to be a flake here, but I would say uh, one and one A would be Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. That's okay because you gave two pieces of best ever advice, so that <laughs> where you're you're keeping consistent with your theme here. <laughs> All right, I'll keep it to one. No, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, at this point, we got to stay consistent, right? Okay. <laughs> best ever personal growth experiences and what you learned from it, or just one experience. I got there's only one here, and that was the market crash in 2008. Uh, when the market crashed, I was sitting on about 65 properties and I lost probably close to $2 million. Very humbling experience. Uh, they always say you learn more in failure and success and that couldn't be more true for me. Uh, I learned a lot about buying real estate and selling real estate and what not to do. So I would say that was by far the most influential experience that I've ever had. What, what are the what are three things you would not do again that you were doing before that led to that? Robert Kiyosaki talks about this in Rich Dad Poor Dad. I would not buy a piece of real estate if it did not cash flow. And if it's a break even uh, cash flow or losing 50, 100 bucks a month, don't do it. I mean, I, I kind of have a rule of thumb. I want to make at least two to three hundred dollars a month in cash flow. And because uh, what happened was in the market crashed, I was sitting on about 55 homes that I was breaking even or losing money on. And you can't stay alive for very long doing that when you have no income coming in. Best ever success habit you practice? Uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer in you know sharpening the saw. So I usually spend about 20 minutes to 30 minutes a day reading something. Uh, you know, it's could be a book directly related to real estate. I don't really read a lot of real estate books anymore. You know, I've done this long enough. I mean, uh, there's probably better sources online for that. When it comes to books, I just like more of the personal growth type books. Or right now I'm reading Becoming Steve Jobs and a fantastic book. I like to read about successful entrepreneurs, business owners, and kind of successful practices for, for being successful in business and life. Best ever deal you've done. 
All right, so I got to go back to you know, 2005. Uh, it was a door knocking deal. Uh, it was up in North Scottsdale, so pretty affluent you know, area of the city. And it was a property that the homeowner was behind you know, many months on in, in foreclosure. I think he was about $60,000 in arrears on his mortgage. Home, he owed about five twenty-five. dollars House was probably worth around close to eight hundred. dollars So I bought it from him for five fifty. dollars I, I uh, basically took over his mortgage at five and a quarter and five twenty-five, and I paid him about $25,000 in cash. And I turned around and sold it in about 45 days for almost $800,000. I made about a quarter of a million bucks one deal. So that'll go down as probably my best. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Uh, I'm really you know, excited and passionate about what we're doing in Milwaukee. Uh, I'm actually kind of transitioning out of the traditional fix and flip model where we just buy and fix them up and then pray there's a retail buyer out there who wants to pay our asking price. And I've gotten more into the turnkey side of the business where we're buying, fixing, uh, and then leasing and then selling to investors, passive investors who are looking for more of a turnkey type of uh, type of asset and then property managing it on the back end for them. Uh, I'm excited about that because there's a lot of opportunities for these types of properties in Milwaukee and the greater Milwaukee area. And, and even if we don't sell them, I mean, they, they provide a tremendous source of cash flow. So it feels to me like more of a win-win than the traditional fix and flip model where we're just kind of waiting around while the house sits empty and hoping a retail buyer comes along and buys it. Best ever way you like to give back? I love volunteering my time through my church, just working with individual investors who, you know, either call me or email me. And, and But that's frankly very time consuming. So I've really kind of shifted my focus more towards just trying to make as much money as I can in my real estate business in an honest, authentic way, and then just passing as much of my income on uh, to worthy causes as possible. I just think that's more of my calling, you know, I think, uh, and, and I think uh, I can do a lot more good that way. So that's what I've been focused on the last year to do is just generating as much income as I can through my business and giving as much of it uh, back to my church and to other charitable causes. Best ever quote. It's actually out of the Bible, James one nineteen. It's uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, which is a real challenge for me. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not the best listener. You can ask my wife, uh, and I'm very quick to speak, and I get pretty fired up quickly if things aren't going my way. So uh, that's probably my favorite quote. I try to repeat that as much as possible to myself, keep myself from getting into too much trouble. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? I would kind of go back to, you know, my best piece of advice, you know, lately, the biggest mistake I made, and really, I could go back to 2006, Joe, is not just trusting my instincts, trusting my gut. In 2006, January 2006, I remember this very vividly, because my wife likes to remind me of it every now and then. (laughs) You know, I was sitting on, I had about 65 properties, and paper, on paper, about 8 million about 16 million in real estate, 8 million in equity. And I was seriously considering liquidating in January of 2006. I figure after taxes and all the dust settled, I would have probably had four or five million bucks in the bank and owned my own home free and clear. I had a cabin up in Flagstaff in the mountains. I would have owned that free and clear, probably had about a half a dozen to a dozen rental properties I would have owned free and clear, $10,000, $12,000 a month in passive income, a nice net worth. 
and really kind of free to do whatever I wanted, financially free, which is, again, what Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was my goal all along, you know, be debt free, have 10 to 12 grand a month in passive income coming in, be financially free, and then kind of really be able to go do something big. And I didn't listen to my gut. You know, I got greedy and I kept pushing and pushing. And eventually, you know, a year and a half later, the market collapsed and I really lost everything. And then, you know, I was always touched on a little, you know, a few minutes ago, uh, you know, even more recently, you know, going into a new market and not really trusting what I knew was kind of fundamental for all home buyers. You know, most people want a three bedroom home. Most people don't want to live on a busy street or back to a retail center. So I would say, you know, uh, biggest mistake, even more lately, is just not trusting my instincts, trusting my gut. What would you say is the best ever place to reach you? Email is always best. You know, my email is marty at reimidwest.com. I, I, I'm a writer and uh, I love to write. I love to write for my blog and I like to write for my uh, my other website, REI Midwest. And um, I love to read, but uh, email is the best. Uh, I get distracted a lot when I'm on the phone. My phone rings constantly. So uh, email is quick and easy and uh, I'm usually pretty responsive within 24 to 48 hours I get back to people. Marty, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and talking about your, I mean, just your career from being a cameraman to having 65 properties before 2008 to losing about 2 million bucks in the crash and the lessons that you've learned and and coming back in a very strong way um, and, you know, with, with your two companies or your websites at least midwest.com and, and flipping phoenix houses.com and what I, one of the things i got out of this was in addition to your story is looking at markets where the margins are better there's more distress and less competition really focusing in on the midwest as you do and and i do as well i didn't know a whole lot about milwaukee before we had our conversation and you definitely helped educate me more about that market and the other thing is for all the best ever listeners who are flippers out there, hearing Marty talk about how he's evolving his company, his flipping company, into not only fixing, but then leasing it up and then selling to investors or keeping it instead of crossing your fingers hoping that you can sell the property to a retail buyer. I think that's ingenious because you mitigate some of the risks. It's more of a long-term strategy but I, I think there, it, you, you definitely uh, lower some of the risk factors that uh, could lead to some downfalls. So thank you so much for sharing your best ever advice and being on the show. Really nice to meet you. Is there anything else you want to share with the best ever listeners? No, no. I appreciate your time, Joe. And uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Marty. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.